0: Welcome to Frontline Church South OKC
1: Sermon Podcast. Each week we will have new sermon content from Sunday mornings, both video and audio options. Please visit south.frontlinechurch.com for more information. If you have any questions, need prayer, or have any other needs at all, please email hello at frontlinechurch.com. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 7:25 through40. The Word of God speaks to us now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they're not rejoicing, those who buy as as though they have no good, Uh, those who deal with the world as they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And an unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in her body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, let his passions, or if his passions are strong, uh, and it has to be, to marry whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. This is God's word to us.
1: Awesome. Hey, good morning. You guys can grab a seat. Uh, Welcome to Frontline. If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Andrew. I get to serve as one of our pastors here. Uh, I don't normally sound like I sound currently. I got sick last week and then recovered from that sickness. And then after I recovered, I lost my voice, which is really weird and strange. And so uh, I had Aaron Addison, Pastor Aaron, as a backup for this morning. So maybe we'll get an early lunch today, if you're lucky. I don't know. If we can make it all the way through, we'll see. So, uh, hey, I wanna give you some direction before we pray on where we're headed. Uh, We've been in 1 Corinthians for a while now, and in chapter seven, there's a transition where he's starting to deal with questions that this church is asking Paul. So they're asking questions of Paul. Paul's responding back. Sometimes they're making crazy statements And Paul is addressing their crazy statements. And so from here on out, this book gets incredibly bizarre and awesome and weird. And if it's not been bizarre already, it's about to take a turn, and we're going to cover all sorts of topics. But in chapter 7, what he covers is a few factors. He's talking about marriage and sexuality. So we spent uh, a couple of weeks ago an entire sermon talking about marriage and sex inside of marriage. And then uh, recently he's talked about divorce and when is it acceptable? Is it acceptable? How do we navigate the complexities of divorce? And as promised, we knew that this would come. Now he's finally getting to singleness. So uh, today's gonna be primarily about singleness. Now, here's why I think this matters, because I think anytime you talk about singleness, you have a portion of the room that's like, yay, finally. And you have another portion of the room that's like, oh, I get to just not listen, plus his voice is incredibly annoying, so I can just tone out right now. And the reality is, this really matters for our church, just like all the other weeks before, not just because it's the word of God and it's authoritative and it's shaping us, but friends, here's the reality. Uh, You're either single now or maybe you're married, but chances of you being single in the future are still pretty high. It's like very rare that a husband and wife go to bed together and die in their sleep and then wake up. There's a chance that you're gonna live a portion of your life single even if you're married now. So it matters to all of us because we either are single or probably are gonna spend a portion of our life single, or maybe today you're single and you just need a vision for this. This is something that God's going to offer you. Or maybe you're married and you don't have a vision for singleness, which isn't going to help you function well inside of the family of God. Because the whole point of Christianity, maybe not the whole point, but one of the the side effects of Christianity, if you will, is that when Jesus saves us, he saves us into a Community into a church, into a family. And now all of a sudden, unlike what culture tells me, the world is not just my creative atmosphere for me to live out my life and pursue my interest and dreams and my desires, but actually the world gets turned upside down and all of my desires become anchored in Jesus. And all of my life becomes about his mission and his people and his church and actually being a blessing and a benefit to them. So if you're married, you need this too, because you need to to capture God's heart for the singles in our church if you're going to be a good father or mother or a good brother or sister to our other brothers and sisters, amen? Okay, so uh, do your best to hang with whatever is happening in my voice. I'm going to pray for you, you pray for me, and then we'll get after it. Sound good? All right, Father, thank you that the power is not in my ability to communicate, but it's in the Holy Spirit and in your word. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would make your word come alive today. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would meet us, that you would allow this word to shape and form our vision, that this would shape and form our lives. And I just confess, so much of America and the West and our culture is in my heart, and I want more of your kingdom in my heart. I want to be more like you. I want to I have my loves and my affections swirling around you, not about what this world says that I need. So would you come and would you meet us and would you move? I pray particularly for my single friends in the room. Would you bless them through your word today? I pray that it would be you blessing them today. Come and meet us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's start out like this. I want you to think about your current vision or thought about singleness. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it, are you indifferent? Where are you in your current stage as you think about singleness? What comes to mind? And by the way, when I say singleness, I mean not married. So you fill in the blanks. That could be pre-married. That could be divorced. That could be widowed. That could be single and very happy. That could be single and miserable. You pick. Single today means not married. So what is your vision of singleness? Maybe you think it's good. There was a non-Christian named David who said this, I live alone and it's great. No nagging wife to shower with gifts or money. I'm 23 and only plan to lose my freedom, get hitched at 43. So David thinks singleness is great because it equals freedom for him to just do his thing. Uh, Christina Aguilera at one point in her career said this. She said, right now I'm pretty single. My career is my boyfriend. My boyfriend. So for her at the time, she was saying, singleness is great because it allows me to pursue my career. Maybe that's your perspective as well. Uh, Somebody online who will remain anonymous said, I've been married for 10 years. I pray for death every day, (laughs) either mine or hers. (laughs) It has to be better than this hellhole that I live in. So This poor guy doesn't like to be married, but yet he is, and so his view of singleness is pretty great right now. Um, Maybe you would say, yeah, I don't have a positive view of singleness. Maybe for you, it it has more of a negative connotation. The late John Lennon's wife, in an interview after he died, they're asking, how are you coping with his death? And she said these words. She said, being alone is very difficult. So for her, not being married equals being alone, and that's really hard. Uh, The famous soccer player, Ronaldo, has said in the past, I don't like being single because I don't like being alone. Again, alone and single are often used here as synonymous words. So some people think it's good. Some people think it's bad. Then there's the people that are torn between the two. It's a mixed bag. Someone online said, I'm happily married, but I sometimes yearn to be able to go when and where I want without having to tell anyone else. I love my husband, but if he died, I wouldn't remarry. Now, maybe you can relate to that. It's like there's a sense of literal freedom that not being married might bring you and your schedule and your time and your commitments, and so it's difficult, right? Uh, Another person, you know this person, Jodie Foster, the actress, she said, I fear being alone, but I need lots of solitude. That's always been a tug-of-war For me. And I can relate to those words, right? Like, I don't like to be alone, but then I also need a lot of solitude. In other words, the way to say that is I think the best thing about being single is that I'm single. And the worst thing about being single is that I'm single. It's a mixed bag. So, what do we do? How do we come to terms with a biblical vision for singleness? Here's the problem with that before we even start the problem is that the culture and the church could not be more at odds and their vision of marriage and singleness. And here's what I mean, that often what culture has is a stigma about marriage, but what the church has often had is a stigma about singleness. And so we're approaching this at loggerheads from jump where some of you in the room have been more formed by our culture and you inherently are a little bit skeptical of marriage, right, you have a stigma about it. That's something that our culture has definitely offered you right? And yet in the church, on the other hand, there's often the stigma about singleness, and we've got to grapple with the two differences. So let me just kind of unpack this. Now this is an overgeneralization. It's certainly a characterization, not always true, but generally speaking, culture tends to be pessimistic towards marriage, whereas the church tends to be pessimistic towards singleness. The culture often views marriage as caving in. Oh, you're getting married, you're losing your freedom, you're caving in, right? But in the church, singleness is often viewed as failure. The culture pressures you to get to stay single, whereas the church will pressure you to get married. The culture views marriage as second best, and sometimes in the church, singleness is made to seem as though it's second rate. Finally, culture often idolizes independence and autonomy, and freedom, whereas in the church, we often idolize marriage, and family, and leaving a legacy. And so all of that is in the room as we approach this topic, and some of us are naturally going to be pessimistic towards Um, marriage for wrong reasons, and some of us are going to be pessimistic towards singleness for wrong reasons, and we just need this whole ball kind of untangled for us. It's a big mess, and thankfully, that's what Paul does so well in chapter 7. Now, I promise we're going to get to it, but let me just remind you of the context here. If you're not familiar and you're just parachuting in with this, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul is making basically one argument, one big statement, That you and I don't have to do anything. We don't have to change our lives up. We don't have to uh, get rid of this life and find a different life in order to be mature followers of Jesus. But actually what we're called is to embrace our present reality in light of eternity. That's the whole point of chapter seven. So he's going to start with marriage and say, listen, if you're married, act married. And part of acting married means engaging in healthy sexual activity in the context of marriage. If you're married, act married. Don't try to not be married. Don't get divorced. This is much of chapter 7. And now at the very end of chapter 7, he's turning his attention to singleness. And he's saying, hey, if you're single, uh, act single. You don't have to get out of your singleness or bust out of that way of life and get married in order to follow Jesus and embrace the call of God on your life. And so this is the trajectory. And what he wants to do is he wants to hold up this beautiful picture, this vision of a single life and how we can do that as followers of Jesus for the sake of the kingdom. So, in light of that, four things that I want you to see. There's a lot more in the, in the passage, but I don't think my voice can handle it. So, four things that I want you to see in this text. Number one, like marriage, singleness is a gift from God. Singleness is a gift from God. Rewind a little bit back in chapter seven and look at verse six because Paul says something that's absolutely crucial to what he's saying in the back half of the chapter. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I love what Paul is doing here. He actually uses this same phrase in Greek that shows up in chapter 12 and 14 to talk about spiritual gifts, and he says that marriage is And singleness are both spiritual gifts. Charismata in Greek is the word that he used. Now think about this. If you're married, he's saying, God has given you in your marriage a spiritual gift. If you're single, God has given you in your singleness, whether it's for a time or for a lifetime, God has given you a spiritual gift. And all spiritual gifts are not meant to be terminated on yourself, but they're meant to be terminated on the church and the mission of God and the blessing and benefit of the world. What Paul is saying is so profound because he doesn't have to lower marriage to elevate singleness and he doesn't have to lower singleness to elevate marriage. He actually takes both marriage and singleness and he elevates them up like this and he says both of these are gifts from God. It actually doesn't matter which one you have. They're both gifts from God and they're both gonna lead you in blessing the world in very different ways. Now, this is shocking to us to think about marriage and singleness as gifts, spiritual gifts that God has bestowed and is energizing through his spirit on his people. But this would have blown the minds of people in the first century, especially among Jewish thinkers. What Paul is saying as a Jewish ex-Pharisee was completely countercultural because in the first century, singleness was not valued. In fact, if you were a single person, especially a single man, you were seen as someone that lacked value and significance and worth. You had nothing to contribute to society. And the reason why that's true in the ancient world, and you can even hear, in fact, I've got some quotes I'll show you. You can hear some Jewish rabbis that are going to be very negative about singleness. Like, listen to this one guy, Rabbi Eliezer. He says, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Tell us how you really feel. Rabbi Eleazar, he says, for it is said male and female, he created them. So he quotes from Genesis and it's like, I don't even think that's what that verse means, but he's dogging on singles right here. It's crazy. There's another one, Rabbi Joshua says, do not say I shall not get married, but get married and produce sons and daughters and so increase procreation in the world. Do you see the negative connotation that it had to be a single person in the first century? and in the ancient world. Why is that? Well, let me give you four reasons why singleness was a negative in the ancient world. First, sons were primarily seen as an economic asset or free labor. Think about this, this is in an agricultural community, this is in a uh, heavily uh, uh, manual labor type of culture, and so you, you have a lot of work to be done around the house, so you need a lot of kids, especially sons, to do all of that manual labor. I grew up in Choctaw. I grew up on an acreage. I'm one of 10. You do the math. I think my dad was doing the math and was like, I need a lot of kids to mow these acres, right? So that's why I'm here on planet Earth was to mow Choctaw. That's what I did growing up. Same in the first century. That's what you did. It was a lot of kids equaled a lot of free labor. Number two, sons would provide for parents in their old age. So think about this. This was retirement planning. You didn't have pensions or, you know, the IRS to rely on, or you didn't have any sort of, like, 401k or any, any of that. So, essentially, what you would do is have lots of kids, and they would care for you in your old age and provide for you. So, it was in your best interest to get married and to have babies. Third, in an ancient society, families would pass on wealth and property and legacy through sons. So if you had children, specifically sons, then all of your wealth would pass to the sons. That's how you kept your legacy going. If you didn't have sons, then you couldn't have anybody that would inherit what you spent your lifetime building and acquiring. And then fourth and finally, and this was big for the Jewish community, they believed that God was primarily, now he is doing this in some ways, but primarily advancing his mission and his kingdom in the world through biological procreation. So they read Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply, and they thought, man, if we're gonna obey this commandment from God, we've gotta get married and have babies. Now, that's part of what that means, but that's not entirely or solely what that means, and yet this was a big deal. So for Paul to say, hey, actually singleness is a gift from God, in that culture, that's mind-blowing, that's breathtaking. And he even calls it a spiritual gift. Now, why? Why? Why does Paul call singleness a spiritual gift? Some of you are not in this place, praise God for that, but some of you who are in the room and are single are like, that is a gift that I would love to find the receipt for and take it back. I have the gift, I think. I don't currently want the gift, right? And if you're wondering, do I have the gift or not? Are you single? Then you currently have the gift, right? That's how you know. It's not like, I feel resolved that I'm supposed to be single. No, if you are single currently, you currently have the gift of singleness that you're called to cultivate. Why is it a gift? Why is it a benefit? Why is it a blessing? Well, before Paul gets to that, he wants us to grapple with the reality that we often overlook when it comes to singleness and marriage. And that leads to the second thing I want you to see, which is this. The grass is not necessarily greener on the other side. The grass isn't greener on the other side. Notice how Paul talks about marriage in the rest of these verses. Look at verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, by the way, that word betrothed means single people who are eligible for marriage. So whenever you see the word betrothed, it's specifically referencing women, but it can mean any single person who is eligible for marriage, but is not yet married. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. He's saying, Jesus hasn't explicitly said anything about what I'm about to say, but let me speak to this as an apostle. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. That present distress, commentators disagree. Is he talking about a crisis currently unfolding in Corinth? Or is he talking about the present distress, i.e. life on planet earth between the first coming of Jesus And the second coming of Jesus, I tend to think that's what he's referencing, is just life on planet Earth equals distress. That in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Notice his logic. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, He's, again, trying to get you to see. It's not like you have to push marriage down to have a high view of singleness. You've not sinned if you get married. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet, listen to what he says, those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. They will have worldly troubles. Look at what he says in verse 32. Fast forward. He said, I want you to be free from anxieties, you hear his heart here? He's, he's not trying to burden you. He's trying to free you. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about the world, worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but did you see the way that Paul is talking about marriage? He's not belittling it, but he's being honest. And often what happens is that if you're married, you look over there at the singles and you go, they just have it so easy. Like, their life is not complicated, and they sit around, and they eat popcorn, and watch Netflix all the time, and all of you who are single are like, are you kidding me? You know, look at you who are married. You have it so easy. All you got to do is, like, jump in bed together and experience sexual and romantic chemistry, and it's awesome. And we do that on every little thing where it's like the grass is constantly greener, and what Paul wants to do is just hold up the realities that whether you are married or single, you will face unique blessings and unique challenges. Now, think about the challenges to singleness. There's a few. like One of them is loneliness. It doesn't have to be a part of singleness, but loneliness can be a factor. And I've heard some of my single friends describe it like this. Yes, I have roommates. Yes, I have deep friends, but I don't have a spouse that I can come home and just process stuff with. And that's a big deal. And I don't have... These uh, little children that I've had dreams of that are running around my house and keeping me busy in all the ways that I wanted to be, like, I don't have that. And that, that produces a sense of loneliness. Sometimes when you're single, there's horrible things that people say. And I don't know if they mean it, like, to be positive or if they're just idiots. I don't know. But sometimes people will say stuff to you like, well, you know, you can't be too picky. Uh, you know, your biological clock is ticking. By the way, that's never something you should ever say to anybody. Um, or you know you know it's, time is running out. You got to figure this out. Why are you still single? There's comments that are made like that that can just leave a wound a little bit. There, there, there's other complexities of being single. Like who's going to take care of me when I age? When I get older, am I going to have someone that's going to watch out for me and and provide for me and take care? There, there, there's a lot of complexities and challenges with being single. I don't want to minimize that at all. But friends. If you're single, think for me with just a minute, as Paul is trying to get us to do, about some of the challenges of marriage. Here's just a few of the common challenges. There's the challenge of sex. Now, some of you are like, being single, it's really hard because our culture talks about it all the time. It's always out there in front of us, like water, food, and oxygen, I need it for life. And if I could be married, it would help my sexual desires quite a bit. The problem is that if 15 years of pastoral ministry has taught me anything, It's taught me that one of the primary struggles in almost any marriage is related to sex. It's how do I stay faithful to this one person for the long haul? How do I pursue his or her sexual desires? How do I do that in a way that I'm also getting desire? And how do I do that in a way where one spouse constantly wants it and the other spouse seems to never want it at all? And it's like God put us together to just make us frustrated all the time. It's a real challenge. This is something that comes up again and again in marriage is the challenge of sex. The the next one that we can think about is the challenge of commitment. How do I not get divorced? How do I not separate? How do I not separate in my heart? How do I stay tethered emotionally to this one person? How do I say literally no to all others so that I can say yes to her or yes to him till I die? And cultivate that and see that thrive. That's a real challenge. Another one is what Paul mentions here, worldly troubles, the challenge of worldly troubles. Like it or not, married people have their interests, their time, their attention divided. It's scattered in a host of things. If you're married, and especially if you have kids, your kids require a ton of time and attention that takes away from this unhindered free devotion to Jesus. And Paul's honest about that. Another challenge that we face in marriage is the challenge of a difficult marriage. And what I mean is sometimes you get married and your marriage is just difficult generally. Like I, I've known people that 15, 20, 30, 40 years, it's just a slog in some ways. And if that's you, by the way, hey, we have, you have pastors that love you and are here for you and we wanna fight for you and we wanna help get you counseling and pastoral care and whatever you need to continue to do the hard but good work. But even if you have the best marriage in the world, you still experience these moments of just incredible difficulty and challenge. When you have two sinners that live together, it's like double trouble. It's like double the sin, double the heartache, double the pain, double the isolation because you're thinking, I should have a spouse that understands, but I don't. And it makes it almost more lonely. So marriage has a lot of challenges with it. And Paul just wants to try to say, the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. You escaping your present reality to jump the fence to the other grass won't make all your problems go away. That's what Paul's trying to say. Now, however, all of that may sound hyper negative about marriage or single. Some of you are like, I don't know where to go. Both sound terrible, right? (laughs) Um, But there actually is some beauty to both marriage and singleness. Yes, marriage is a picture of the gospel, but friends, what often gets overlooked is that singleness is a picture of the gospel too. And in fact, marriage is a picture that's gonna give way to the reality. And even if you're married now, your forever state will be one of singleness in Christ because marriage was just pointing to his love for his church the whole time. And friends, singleness is a profound picture of the gospel because as Brooks Waldron says in his really helpful article, Singleness with a Purpose, marriage was designed to show off Christ's love and devotion to the church. Singleness was designed to show off the church's love and devotion to Christ. Singleness is uniquely designed to showcase the sufficiency and the superiority of God. When somebody can embrace their single life, When someone can say no to the sex ethic of our world and yes to the sex ethic of Jesus, which is basically no sex outside of the context of marriage at all, and they can find fulfillment not in a spouse, but in Jesus and in his church, they can experience spiritual family, and they can actually have a life that's full and thriving and spent for the good and blessing of other people that is a profound witness to just how valuable Jesus is. In other words, is it true that all we need is Jesus? Or do we need Jesus plus marriage? Jesus plus children? Jesus plus this or that? And when people walk out singleness to the glory of God, they're saying Jesus plus nothing equals all the joy in the world. He's all I need. And that's a testimony of the gospel that the world needs to see. And that leads me to the third thing that I want you to see which is this, embrace your present reality in light of eternity. If you're married, this is true of you, but if you're single, I want you to hear this. Embrace your present reality in light of eternity. Notice what Paul says in verse 17 again, the most important verse in this entire chapter. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule and all the churches. Friends, Paul's vision was caught up when he became a Christian with the fact that God sovereignly called him, and not just him, but all of us in whatever state or stage of life we find ourselves in. That you are where you are because a sovereign, wise, good, loving father ordained that you would be as you are right now. Are you single? God saw you and he chose this moment for you to be single. He is not holding out on you. He is not playing, he's not being mean. He's not like, I'm gonna trick you and taunt you and and make your life miserable. He, He actually designed your present life and he's gifted it to you. And your role, your job as a Christian is to receive that gift and actually embrace it from your father and live in light of eternity. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 29, and this, this is what filled Paul's vision. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it for this present form of this world is passing away. Paul believed that Jesus was coming back. He believed that this present life, this present age is passing away and the age to come, the kingdom of God, the new earth is coming. And Paul realized that this life is not short and fleeting and I've got to get it all in now because once it's over, it's over. He realized that this life is like the front cover of a never-ending, beautiful, powerful book that God is unfolding. And eventually, this age will pass away and we will turn the page to a never-ending book of glory in the kingdom of God. You do not have to get married to experience a full, thriving, beautiful life. You have a full, thriving, beautiful life on its way when Jesus cracks the sky and comes back to make all things new. And if you say no now, you'll be able to enjoy yeses for eternity in ways that you can't even imagine. This is Paul's vision. It captured him. This present age is passing away. I love the words of Gordon Fee about this. He says, those who follow the risen Christ are marked by eternity. Therefore, they are not under the dominating power of the circumstances that dictate the existence of others. He's not wanting you to live detached from this world. If you're married, pretending like you're not. If you're single, you know, pretending like you're not. If you're buying goods in the world or engaging in the culture, pretending like you're not. That's detached. He's saying that there's a way of going in the world, not as detached people, but as free people. Whereas the cultures, influences, the world, marriage, singleness, none of that plays a weight or a bearing on how I interact because I've been freed up. I know that Jesus is coming back. I'm living for eternity. I'm living for that day because this present age is fleeting and it's almost out the door. So embracing your present reality, let me just say, that does not mean that you need to pretend to be content and often this happens in singleness. It's like, you hear the stories. You know, I, gosh, I was single for a long time until I finally achieved contentment. And then I achieved contentment and God, that was was the moment that God decided to give me a spouse. And it's like, that's totally unhelpful and maybe not even how God works. So some of you have been praying prayers, lying to God. I'm content, right? I'm content, God. And God's like, I know you're not content. And all you have to do is just tell God, like, I'm really struggling with this. I don't really like this. I'm really not content. It's not like God's waiting for the magic contentment moment to bless you with a spouse. You can be honest about where you're at. But embracing your present reality, it's not fighting for fake contentment. It's saying, I know that God is good. I know that he's sovereign. I know that he's wise. I know that he gives me what I need when I need it. And I know that all I ultimately need is found in him. That's embracing contentment. And that leads me to the last final thing I want you to see. Live in wholehearted devotion to Jesus. Verse 35, this is kind of the the mountaintop. This is the pinnacle. This is what Paul's driving towards. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Can I just pause and say something that hit me this morning? Paul assumes that what we really want as Christians is our undivided devotion to be to Jesus. He just assumes it. And maybe where this sermon meets you today is like, that's not your baseline assumption. Maybe your baseline assumption is like, I want a spouse, or I want happiness, or I want this, or I want that. Paul's just assuming that if you're a Christian, the baseline thing that you really want is undivided devotion to Jesus. So therefore, in light of that, he's like, singleness is amazing for that. It's a gift. Friends, here's the truth. The reality is that being single Opens up doors for ministry and mission that being married closes. That's 100% true. Doesn't make marriage bad or wrong or sinful, but being single opens up doors for ministry and mission that marriage closes, which is why Jesus encouraged some people to discern whether or not they should be single for the whole of their lives, to discern if they should be celibate for their whole lives. In other words, not to wake up one day and realize, wow, I'm profoundly content, I think I can do this for my whole life, but through prayer, through community, through fasting, through discerning God's heart for you, through getting counsel from other pastors and community, really wrestling, Jesus, do you want me to say no to the gift of marriage, this good thing, so that I can say yes to a life of celibacy and live particularly in a unique way for your kingdom. He wants you to at least consider that. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Not everyone can receive the saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive this. What, what does it mean to be a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven? To, to voluntarily abstain from the gift of marriage for your whole life so that you can embrace a life of celibacy for the glory of God. Barry Danilak in his amazing book, Redeeming Singleness, says this. I know it's a little bit of a longer quote, but bear with me, it's really, it's really important. He says, a eunuch for the kingdom is voluntarily so for the sake of serving the king and the kingdom. Voluntary eunuchs are those who recognize that their assignment from God, whatever it is, and every Christian has one, can be better accomplished by remaining unmarried, whether for a select period of time or for a lifetime. He goes on, this service covers a wide range of possibilities, from overseas mission assignments to urban ministry to a life devoted to Christian scholarship to itinerant evangelism, to youth rehabilitation. At my former church, there were single women who served as pastoral nurses. They are free to attend at almost any moment, the mesh of spiritual and physical needs of congregant shut-ins. Another church had volunteer street pastors. They walked the city streets late on weekend nights to provide a Christian support brigade for the local police force. The eunuch for the kingdom is the one who voluntarily refrains from marriage and family so as to guard his or her freedom for the sake of serving the Lord in whatever way he should call. So friends, here's the point. Don't waste your singleness. Whether it's for a short season or for a long season, it's an assignment from God that he's gifted you. Use it for devotion to Jesus. So where do we go from here? i will close by just briefly addressing those of you who are single in the room. I think there's a lot of things I'd wanna say to you, but here are two things that have to be said. The first is uh, learn to embrace the church as spiritual family. I love the words of John Piper. He says, marriage is temporary, but the church is eternal. Friends, God is not opposed to singleness, but he is opposed to loneliness and isolation. He is not opposed to singleness, but he is opposed to loneliness and isolation. So if you're single, you're actually meant to find not just community, but family in the church of God. We are the household of God. There's fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters in Christ that you are called to experience and have in your life. And I just want to invite you to learn to get the real family that you're longing for in this, because this actually is our real family. The second thing and final thing, is learn over time to take your cues from Jesus and serve like crazy. Paul's whole point of driving some of us to singleness, saying if you're single, maybe consider staying single, his whole point is because it actually frees you up to serve and have undivided devotion to Jesus and offer blessing to the world. John Stott, who is my hero of the faith in in, uh, the past. He died in the early 2000s. John Stott is one, one of the most influential people on my life and was single his whole life, and he said this. He said, apart from sexual temptation, the greatest danger which I think we face as singles is self-centeredness. We may live alone or have total freedom to plan our own schedules with nobody else to modify it or even to give us advice. If we're not careful, we may find the whole world revolving around ourselves. And I would just say to you that those of you who are single, and many of you are doing this so well, but those of you who are single, man learn over time to just give your life away. Give up your schedule, give up your time. Give, by the way, that's one of the painful parts of marriage and parenting is learning over time to give your life away. And so the point is if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't get, a, get to escape giving your life away. And if you're single, that's one of the beautiful ways that you can do it is for the blessing of others in your life. If you're married, and I'll close with this, I want to speak to you real quickly about how we can relate to singles. The first is I want to ask some of you that need to, to repent of your negative views of singleness when you view them as less than or unimportant. God has specifically assigned people this role, this calling, and if God has assigned it, we need to receive it as well, don't we? And it's actually harming to the church. It's harming to them when we view them as unimportant or not arrived or not fully mature. We actually have a way to receive them as gifts into our life. I would say this. I would say ask good questions of them. Hey, what do we do that hurts you? What do we say that is hurtful and harmful and damaging? What do we do that blesses you? What do we do that cares for you? What do we do that just fills your sails with more of love for God and love for neighbor? How can we help you in this journey of your singleness? Third thing I would say is invite single people into every aspect of your life. Invite them in not just to observe, but to have a voice. Uh, Let them see your marriage. Let them see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let them see you fight. It'll be really good because if they do go on to get married, and many of them will, If they do go on to get married, they're gonna have a grid for, here's how you have healthy conflict. Let them see you with your kids when you're at your best and you're at your worst. Let them come over when your house is a disaster. Just invite them into every part of your life and you will get the blessing, not just them. You will get the blessing, not just them. And then the, the final thing I would say is this. Over time, learn to affirm them and bless them with your words and in prayer. How can you find unique moments of their life that often get overlooked that you can step in as a source of blessing and celebration? I think about when you get married, uh, right before you get married uh, and you're, you're engaged and you've got the date set, you go to Target or your store of choice, and you get the little like, you know, clicker thing, and you wa- it's so obscene, it's stupid. You walk around to everything you want. You're like, beep, I want that, beep, I want that, beep, oh, a new espresso machine, somebody's going to buy me that, I'm sure, beep. And you just click all the stuff that you want, and then people buy you stuff and fill your house with all the stuff that they bought you. And then we all celebrate that you got married. How many single people go through a whole journey and process of buying a new home, moving in, and they're like, here I am. What would it look like if we actually functioned as the family of God? And we're like, you're getting a new home? that's a mile marker. We're gonna celebrate your journey. We're gonna hold a party and we're gonna get you all the necessities that you need to have at home here. Man, look at you moving forward in life. Praise God, we're proud of you. Do you see the difference there? Like we have a chance to function as the family of God, both single and married, to benefit one another, to bless one another, to affirm one another, because the whole point is that we can grow in wholehearted devotion to Jesus and bless the world that he's placed us in, amen? All right. I want to invite you to stand with me. Hey, I don't know where this sermon hits you. Um, maybe you're single and you're thinking about your life, and you're seeing how Jesus is calling you to live, and you're just thinking, "Man, I've I've blown it. I've been discontent. I've been grumbling." Maybe I've been sexually unfaithful, just trying to act married though I'm not married. Maybe you look at your present singleness with a lot of shame. And if you're in Christ, I wanna remind you what's really true of you. The last and greatest word on your life, your truest identity is found in this meal that your father loved you so much that he sent your brother Jesus. Jesus. Your brother Jesus had his body broken for you and his blood shed for you so that your shame could be covered, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could stand not with your head hanging low and not with your head in swagger and pride and arrogance, but so that you could be redeemed sons and daughters. Hey, in Jesus, nothing's wasted. Nothing's wasted. It's not too late to have a life of significance in the kingdom of God That's what he's inviting you into. That's your heritage as a Christian. So today you can come and receive this meal and remember that. Maybe today you're saying, I hear this. I hear Paul in chapter seven. I hear the heart of God. I wanna do it, but I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. Maybe you're married and you're saying that. I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I, I wish I could be single or maybe for whatever other reason in your life, life is just really hard right now. Hey, this is not just a meal where we look back on the forgiveness of Jesus, it's also a meal where we come and encounter his very presence. Through the Holy Spirit, we actually get to encounter the presence of God in this meal together. What that means is that he's not giving us forgiving grace. He's not like like making us Christians when we take this meal, but what he is doing is giving us sustaining grace Grace to keep going forward. Grace to keep saying yes to his call. Grace to keep offering him our life. Grace to keep saying no to sin, no to self, yes to Jesus at every turn. That's what this meal is. It's help for you today. So if you need help today, if you need grace today, the blood of Jesus and his body was broken and shed so that you could have it. If you're not a Christian, we love you. We are honored by your presence. Please don't come and take this meal. This meal is only for baptized followers of Jesus. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus and demonstrated that through baptism, please don't take this meal. Be in our community, come to a community group, watch the way that we live, speak into our lives when you see us living contradictory to how we preach and you'll see that from time to time, but watch the way that we live because we actually do think that Jesus has changed us. We think that there's life and help that he wants to offer you. So if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, come and receive this. Let's do this in groups together um come and and take the bread take the wine